0: Hey, leaders. Welcome to our Mops International podcast. I'm Kendall Parkhurst, and joining me today is Gina Moran. Hi, leaders. And we're also so excited to be featuring Mike Foster from People of the Second Chance. Hi, Mike. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for being with us today.
1: It's good to be here. Why
0: don't you tell us a little bit about People of the Second Chance? I just love that name. Sure.
1: So we're a nonprofit organization that... I think at the very root of what we're doing is helping people love their not-so-perfect story. And whether it's um, we do training, we do curriculum, I, I write and I speak about grace and second chances and really just the sense of helping people um, own all of their story. Because sometimes we like to put sort of the successful pieces or the more perfect pieces or the pieces of our story that we, we like or are proud of. But I really think um, the sense of, we're ever going to find true freedom or wholeness in our life, we actually have to bring all of it to the table. And really I think that's where God steps in. That's where grace steps in. Like the stuff that maybe there's points of our story where we've felt shame or embarrassed about, or maybe there's things from our childhood that have been very difficult or traumatic. Like all of that stuff matters to God And I actually, like, one of the things that we we do at People's Second Chance is actually help people embrace that because I actually believe that's your unfair advantage that you bring into the world, that it expands your heart and compassion for people, gives you more empathy, gives you this sort of advantage to say, like, have those what I call me too moments and so if, we don't, if we're not bringing our brokenness to the table, then we're sort of robbing all of, all of us in, in the community, and whether it's women sitting at a table with us at a mops meeting, like that stuff matters. And so just helping people be braver with that part of their story, to understand that part of the story, and then really how they can leverage much of their brokenness for the kingdom.
2: I think that's fantastic. I think that's exactly what we want to see our leaders doing and see women doing within our groups. I think um, the way we bring together our story um, is it, just like Mike said, like it's the key to a relationship that um, really gives a place where we can point point to Jesus and to just really connect on a deeper level. Um, Mike, as Um, As we're talking about this, it's super easy to talk about sharing your story, but can you give me, like, what would you tell our leaders would be some practical ways where they can actually step into feeling comfortable with sharing their story?
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, the unfortunate part of it is that a lot of times the, the things that we maybe didn't go so right in our stories, that we have a lot of fear and anxiety about that, and honestly, for good reason, because there's probably sometimes in our some point in our life, where maybe we've been vulnerable, or we've shared something, and we've been looked at funny, or we got the stink eye, or or we've been flat out rejected. And so we, you know, human beings are kind of smart people, and we take cues, and we're like, well, if this, if I can't share this, then I'm not going to, you know, if I do, I'm going to be rejected. Like I'm going to not do that. And so I think the first part is really. I always encourage people just to understand your story. maybe the first step is not so much about like sharing it publicly, but actually maybe journaling about it or just saying, okay, what are the parts of my life that maybe hurt or that I'm afraid of? Or what are the things in my life that have kind of been buried back in the back and maybe start processing that with God and really just saying, Hey, you know, how can I have more freedom to share this and how, what? Why am I afraid? Why do I feel much, so much anxiety about you know being known in this part of you know this maybe this season of life? Why does this hurt so much? And so I think it starts personally, like figuring out what it is. I, in, in we have a curriculum called Freeway, and one of the big things is um, just just slowing down. Sometimes, like the first step to freedom, is really. Awareness and the way we do that is to slow our lives down. And because I think the the rush of life, the speed of life is just honestly a really great coping mechanism for not actually having to be with our heart. And so, the, the you know, maybe that's maybe the first step is saying, okay, I need to slow down here and I get need to get more in tune with my story, with my pain, with my heart, see what God's doing there. Maybe it's writing, then writing it down, or maybe it's maybe sharing with one close friend first. And then, hopefully, as we begin to know our stories, our not-so-perfect stories, as we start opening up, I always say, like, freedom just rushes in, like, literally the very first time we say something. And that's that's the hardest part of it, actually, like, to say the very first words. But when we say those words, then it actually becomes easier and easier and easier to to a sense where— your not so perfect story will be just as natural as talking about as your great st- you know the, <laughs> the story that went where everything went right, or your successes or your wins.
0: Oh, I love hearing that because it's a reminder. I can't remember. it's one of the great thinkers of long ago who said man's greatest problem is that they can't sit in a room alone by themselves. Hmm. like that's the heart yeah. of so much of our own pain. Because especially now with media and phones and constantly, I mean, even at a stoplight now, I realize I grab my phone. Like I can't sit at a stoplight without distraction. Yeah. Because what am I afraid of that might pop up? And I think you're so right being there. And I think the other thing I heard you say that you're not only calling into action people telling their story, it's also the listener Mm -hmm. and how we respond to people when they do finally open up.
1: Yeah. And that's really important too. And I think one of the great things that, we can do in community and and all of us can get better in terms of our response to people, whatever, whatever people are bringing in the, into, you know, the conversation that we sit there in a place of grace and understanding. And one of the reasons why we can do that is because we're in touch with our own story. See, I can be very judgmental or very sort of like what you did, what, when I'm sort of disconnected from my own pain, that's, that's why this is so important for you to actually understand your part, because when you hear somebody's not-so-perfect story and you've owned your own not-so-perfect story, you, that's a beautiful place. That's like a miraculous, compassionate, empathetic place. But when you are divorced from your own pain, then, it, then we actually sit in a place of judgment when people are sharing. So that's why I, I just like, to me, it's the key that unlocks real community. It's the key that locks, unlocks real freedom.
0: I'm just picturing moms around, we have discussion group tables, you know, where there's a MOPs leader who helps uh, facilitate. Let's say someone really pours something out that we're uncomfortable with. What do we do with that?
1: Yeah. And I think we got to be honest, too, with the fact that sometimes we hear things and they're they are shocking like or, or like, surprising. And so there's sort of this natural response to that, like, it's okay to be surprised. It's okay to be like, I didn't expect that. But, you know, that's maybe our our initial gut reaction to something. But as quickly as possible, we want to start welcoming in grace and the spirit of acceptance. Um, Because people, again, were great, you know, I I forget what they say, but it's like 78% of communication is nonverbal, Right. So part of kind of as a leader practicing making sure that that you're watching your body, you're watching your 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 reaction to somebody's um honest moment. And then and I think that does take practice. And I actually teach people like um how to have good body language when you're in a counseling or coaching situation or when people are sharing something vulnerable because that's really important but but really the best thing that we can do and I tell people this all the time like some of my go-to's is like um just saying i'm i'm so grateful and thankful that you shared that today or with me that was really brave like just the sense of coming in and encouraging that person and so maybe you're sitting at a table and somebody shares something vulnerable like saying man I'm so proud of you like that. I bet that was very difficult to say. And I'm, but I'm so glad you're here with us. And it's like, sometimes, um, as just normal human beings, we tend to want to try to fix something or, or like break the, the uncomfortableness of what's being shared. It's like, it's okay for awkward moments. Like as a leader, you got to say, it's okay for this to feel a little awkward right now. That's, Perfectly normal. Um, and we don't have to sort of rush in and try to fix the problem. We don't have to like offer up a solution because sometimes what people share with us is actually really complex and complicated and isn't going to get solved at a MOPs table. It's going to be a very long process of relationship and journeying and processing. Um, and it may not even be appropriate for the, the MOPs table out there. It's appropriate for them to feel safe to share, but that doesn't mean that we have to sort of fix it in that moment And so, as a leader, really trying to um, take some of that burden or pressure off, I feel like okay, now I got to say something, or I got to like break the awkwardness. Like some of the most most like powerful things we can say to people is "I love you," "I'm glad you're my friend," "I'm glad you're here." That sense of belonging again that that Mops is so like known for, like just creating a, a place of love, and that's enough sometimes in that moment. And them sharing just. A few thoughts in that at that table is enough. And our response with love and saying, I'm glad you're here, can be enough.
0: So you have a book coming out uh, September 20th. So depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be out. Gina actually had a chance to read through People of the Second Chance, mm-hmm. titled Same as Your Organization. Yes. Uh, Gina, what were some of your favorite parts that you want to hear more from Mike on? I think one of uh,
2: the... The best things that Mike talks about in his book is just accepting that we're all not perfect and that God, we are God's beloved, and um, he loves us right where we are, right as we are, and just kind of accepting that. And um, I also love the way uh, Mike talks about how we can love other people and what that actually looks like. I think we talk about that a lot, um, but he actually puts some practical application to that and how you can actually go about loving somebody well.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, the book is very much about um, kind of this, like, there's two cases that I make in the book of, and really it's what my whole theology kind of boils down to, and really how I sort of approach Christianity and life, and it's that, you know, living as God's beloved, and um, about identity, because identity is really so key to how we show up in the world, how we see our relationship with God, even in a relationship with our, our own stories, I, I, I tell people, and I write about this in the book, that if your identity's broken, then your life is broken. So you'll never rise above what you actually believe about yourself. And so if you don't, if you're not sort of soaking and basking in the fact that God is crazy in love with you, and that no matter what your past might look like, or whether you're having a bad day or not, or or you know the kids are out of control, you're like, oh my gosh! And like so often, I think think women. Uh, especially tend to be very critical towards themselves and um, a sense of you know personal condemnation and self-bullying. And all of that is really just taking us away from God's intention for our lives and actually um, moves us away from from freedom and what he wants and how he wants to use us as leaders. Because it's hard for me to give what I actually don't have. And so if you're not overflowing with love, if there isn't a you're not overflowing with this sense of like God just is crazy about me and yes, I, I I'm not perfect and yes I have flaws and yes, you know, I have brokenness in my life, but like even beyond all that I'm loved. And if that's not sort of the the, the brand or the identity that you wear and show up each day with, then it's actually gonna be hard and difficult to actually love others well. And so I talk a lot about that in the book and really like how do we embrace that? And what does that mean? And the thing I love about the word beloved is that the instructions are actually within the word, you know, it's like be loved. And so, um, whatever that looks like, like be loved when the kids are screaming and bouncing off the wall and be loved when maybe your marriage is grinding along and be loved in that moment that maybe you feel a lot of shame or embarrassment about when we can get that and really allow God's love to penetrate those places then we become great lovers right because when we feel loved we're it, we're, we're overflowing versus operating with this scarcity so that's a big piece of it and so like th- the different ways that we love you know sometimes the church will uh you know say well the way the way you love people is you know just to, you know show up and show up at the soup kitchen or donate or give money or like and I think, you know, love is is really just – we all, I think, have a unique expression of how we do it and really embracing kind of how you love people. So, like, listening is a great way to love people. Um, but, but a lot of us are like, well, that's not enough. That's not – I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that – like, just holding space with somebody and letting them share their story or being with somebody in their grief, being – with somebody at a Starbucks and just sharing a coffee. And like, that is an incredibly loving gesture. Sometimes love does come through service. Sometimes love is like, um, one of the stories I talk, talk about in the book is my dad used to make my lunch every morning and he would put this little yellow note in my lunch. And it was like this short little note. It, um, wasn't, you know, fancy or, you know, expensive. It didn't take a lot of time, but every day he wrote this little note and he said, you know, I love you. You know, I'm glad you're, hope you have a great day that, and, um, you know, that little yellow note, like was a lifeline of love for me as I was growing up as a kid. And, you know, a lot of us go, well, it's just a note, right? It's just, but I think all of us have these things where, Surprising elements of love have shown up in our life, and they typically don't have fireworks associated with it or or videos, or like it's just like this small moment, like, oh my gosh, that just like radically altered who I am, how I that situation. Um, it was so encouraging and uplifting, and so really, I um, finding even tiny ways I, I call it tiny greatness. You know, it's like, um, so often we're easily dismissing some of the very small acts of kindness and love that, um, all of us can do. And, 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 so like getting creative with that and, um, embracing that and not feeling the pressure, like, Oh, it's gotta be a big act of love. It's gotta be, you know, this large gesture and just saying, all right, what's a unique, fun way. Like we were, we were talking before we started about Bob Goff and Bob Goff's like a perfect example of just all of these crazy fun ways to love people. And, um, so, yeah, like, find the things that work for you. Find the things that maybe are connected to your of things that are meaningful. Like, it could be a craft. It could be a, a piece of art. It could be, um, you know, again, just, just being, calling somebody. I text people all the time just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. That's an incredible act of love. And so getting less dismissive about what, what well, this one, it doesn't matter. This doesn't make a difference. Like, it does. Mm-hmm. All of it matters.
0: Well, I think as women um, with young children and stuff, too, I think we think we have to reserve because we're going to run out. Mm. Um, and the difference is when you are plugged into the eternal, never-ending source of love, when you're abiding, um, you're in a vine that's going to produce fruit that doesn't run out, right? That I know for myself, when I think of Bob Goff, I get tired.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the part of, the big part of that, again, coming back to the identity, is being who you are and loving the way that you love. Like, You're not meant to be Bob Goff. I'm not meant to be Bob Goff. Like, Bob Goff, the way he does it is exhausting. But the way I do it is just a natural overflow and extension of how God created me. And so, you know, not feeling that pressure to—and again, we get different cues like, well, this is what love looks like, or be more like Bob, or be—like, just be more like you and find your unique way to do it. And that's going to be really effective, and it's going to be— easy and effortless, but you do have to be tapped in. Like, again, we start with identity. If you don't feel loved, it's going to be really difficult for you to give love. Um, Or you're going to give love that's sort of done um, in sort of a false way. Which people can see through. They totally see through. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's like, it's okay, again, to start with your own heart. Like, so many like we want, we're givers. We want to help. We want to as leaders. We want to like do stuff. And it's like maybe that the project is you first, mm-hmm. and um, wrestle through like what you believe about yourself, what you believe about your value. Are you hustling for your your worth? Like what what is it that's sort of driving you? Because if we're operating from shame or operating from the sense of performance or perfectionism, that is exhausting. Even love becomes exhausting at that point versus I'm operating from a place of being secure in who I am, secure to who God created me to be. I I know I'm the beloved. Then those expressions of love, they are kind of endless. It it is like you become the energizer bunny because you're caring for your own heart, but then you're also giving love away. And that to me is a perfect formula.
2: I love that. I think that's so, um, so beautiful. And I think that as we're leading our mops groups and we're encountering women who are broken and are just, you know, in a lot of pain and, um, or maybe just feeling lost or lonely, um, that that's a perfect place for us to start as, as we share our stories together and kind of start to, um, create community with each other. Mm. um, Mike, what else would you like to tell our leaders? Just um, as they're leading their groups, as they're reaching out in their community and looking to welcome women uh, from all walks of life into a place where they can belong and be loved, what would you encourage them with?
1: Yeah, well, I think sometimes as leaders, we um, we bear we, we feel the weight of responsibility. We feel the weight of um, you know just just leading. And sort of being an example to others, and I think that's great. I think that's a really awesome thing in in being a, a leader of example. And but I, but I also say like as leaders, it's important to understand that um, you're not meant to be perfect. You're not meant to like nail it every time. You're not meant to be like a rock star facilitator at your table every single. Like it's okay to have bad days. It's okay to like. Have a have a group time that just kind of is like, me, you know, like mediocre, and to to I guess leaders in general need to cut themselves a little slack sometimes, and like sit in the sense that like what's happening at our tables, what's happening in the women that we serves lives, like like let let God do the heavy lifting, let God do the transformation, um, and not feel like this burden or or over-responsibility to, like, do all the work for for the ladies at your table. And honestly, like, the over-responsibility, over-giving actually is a form of our false self versus our true self. It's okay to give. It's okay to help. It's okay to take on responsibility. But it's the over responsibility. It's the over giving. It's the over fixing that really is a good indicator that maybe we're not feeling like God's beloved, and we're not really we're trying to perform, trying to do something for something, and just maybe get get comfortable and more relaxed in the sense of who you are, like, and who you are is enough, and you just showing up to that table or showing up to that that time with those, those other women, those other moms is enough. You don't f- have to feel like such a heavy burden. And that's actually how you create a lot of sustainability in your life. That's how you create a lot of joy. That's how like, uh, it becomes a lot more fun when you kind of have this sense of like, my hands are open. Um, I'm not going to do the heavy lifting. God's got to do transformation in people's lives. I can be, like, a great cheerleader. I always tell people, like, be a cheer, like get out the pom-poms and encourage people and cheerlead people and, like, say, you can do this and love people and give lots of hugs. And, like, that, It to me, is exceptional leadership when you're doing that. Um, marginal leadership is when you're trying to fix the person, when you're trying to hit a home run every time, you know, you guys get together. It, you're trying to control something. It's like releasing that to God and then just— Allowing yourselves to to enjoy whatever the process looks like, enjoy wherever the conversation goes like. It's all good. It's all a miracle. God is in the midst of it. Like, and let's just let's just enjoy leadership a little bit more. Well,
0: and so many of the words you just used um, really transformed from taking it so seriously. Hmm. Because then we become very serious people,
1: <laughs> yes, and we
0: reflect a serious God. And one of the questions you pose in your book is, "What if we partied as much as we preached?" Uh-huh. I love that.
1: Yeah, well, I think you know it's interesting because um, I spent a lot of t- a lot of time, a lot of my leadership, a lot of my work is in like really painful, heavy things. Like there's just no getting around that. But there is um, a lightness to to life and how. What I do and um, an enjoyment of it, because I I think that's much more to the heart of God. It's like, um, yes, life can be crazy, heavy sometimes, and crazy dark, and all of that. But um, our, you know, our theology, our religion, our, our faith does not have to be sort of this serious, heavy thing. Like we're ho- we're hopesters. We are we're people who. Um, understand like how this all turns out like and so um, it 's okay to smile it 's okay to like it 's okay for mystery right it 's okay for it all not to fit together and to like you know that 's crazy <laughs> you know like, it 's just like this is a crazy thing i don 't know what 's going on here like it 's okay like to sit in that and go um, it 'll make sense at some point right now it doesn 't and that 's okay instead of fighting it or trying to you know wrestle with it all the time and so I do talk about this idea of like if if we as leaders, as Christians, were more celebratory um, instead of, you know, we partied more than we preached. And I think, you know, I talk about it in the um, book, the story of the prodigal son. We tend to get hooked on the prodigal character or the elder brother or even the father, and we forget that there's this whole party thing going on. Actually, if you look in the gospel, you know, Jesus was a lot. There's a lot of party scenarios You know, whether it's a wedding party or a a banqueting table feast, you know, the the story of the prodigal son. And so it's okay. Like, to me, I'm so much more, um, I've I've sort of disconnected from trying to fix all the world's problems, trying to fix all the problems in people. In fact, I think the problems are actually, um, the symptoms are, are relevant, but maybe not as important as we think they are, versus like, coming at somebody and say, I'm going to celebrate you, I'm going I'm to love on you, I'm going to like believe in you, that is so much more powerful and transformational in people's lives than talking about the problem. Because one thing I've realized over you know, almost 15 years of counseling and thousands and thousands of hours of working through people's problems is that the problem, it, we're all sort of aware of the problem at some level. They're aware of the problem, it's kind of obvious, like, okay, they say the problem— and we can talk about the problem for a very long time. Or we can just talk about, okay, maybe there's something new and beautiful that's being birthed here. Maybe we can celebrate uh, this this moment of, of, like, we said the problem. Okay, now what are we going to do? Like, it's about the now versus, you know, the things in the past. It's about what God is building and, and leading us into. And so to me, that's just much more of the party vibe. And It's like, let's celebrate. Let's enjoy each other's, um, company. Let's laugh. Let's tell jokes. Like let's, it's okay. And if things don't make sense and yeah, things still are heavy, that's okay too. That we can bring that into a party. Like we're not sort of being false. Like if we're, um, you know, struggling with something, it's like a party's not going to change necessarily the struggle, but it is a, a a a thing that can transform ourselves in knowing that we're in community, that we are loved, that we're belonging somewhere, and those are always the starting places for healing and wholeness.
0: One of the things that you've shared is that people of the second chance as an organization, your kind of two main uh, platforms is that people need to be loved and they want to belong. What are ways to foster that for our women?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things I, I would say is we got to put, uh, put away our, our timetables and our schedules for like belonging means that you can, you can just belong. And if sometimes we go, well, you can belong, but we're going to need to see some change in about two months. Okay. Like we'll give you a couple of weeks before you start believing. And it's like, well, every one of us is unique. Everyone has a unique um, pathway that we're walking. And and again, this is where God's doing the work versus we're sort of like, we need to see some change here by this time. Um, And sort of releasing our timetables and our schedules. I always joke with people, um, that, like, it seems like in the church, we'll give you about, you know, three months to get over something. <laughs> and then you better be, you know, back to to happy and, and productive and, like, through this. And it's like, when we have problems, I, I call them, like, deaths. Deaths happen when something dies. Um, we, there's, like, all this, the five stages of grief that we have to work through. And there's, like, all the emotions that attach to it. And it's not sort of this, um, straight line to freedom sometimes a very crooked line and sometimes the we go backwards and forwards and sideways and so just allowing people the space to um, you know do their journey in their in their time let God do the work um, again we're the cheerleaders and encouraging and but really it's saying like just belong and we're gonna love you here Um, now that doesn't say like, I I teach, uh, one of the things I teach in my, um, rescue lab workshop is, uh, the framework is radical acceptance and then a cheerleader of personal responsibility. So, and what I mean by that is like our first, our first response to people is always like, you're loved, you're welcomed here. You're my friend. Like, don't stop coming, you know, don't stop coming to the table, right? We want you here. Um, So, And and all the stuff that is associated with that concept. But then there is the other concept of uh, being a cheerleader of personal responsibility. And that's why I say it's like our job is not to fix people or force people or get compliance or like um, it's really we want to encourage people to take ownership of their lives. And so as a leader, um, you're not fixing your cheerleading ownership. And ownership is saying, I kind of define that as um, making a choice to be committed to an outcome. And that choice has to be made by that person, okay? Um, you can't force the choice. You can't sort of manipulate the choice. You, they have to make the choice. But what you can do as a leader is help them define what the outcome is and focus on, like, okay, what is it that you want for your life? What are the things that you want to be free of? What, is, what are we going for here? And it could be very small. It's like, hey, I just want my uh, me and my husband to – to be able to have more, um, time together, or I want to, uh, you know, be free from this sort of self bullying that I'm, I'm doing to myself with my shame. It's like, okay, well let's figure out some, some ways to do that. Like, if you want to be free of that, what does that look like? But as a leader, they're doing the work. They, them and God, not like, I cannot, like, come into your brain and stop you from self-criticizing yourself, right? I can't, like, do that for you. You have to do that. And so it's radical acceptance, because a leader will go, well, gosh, Julie's still, you know, doing all this stuff, and that we're destroying her life, and destroying her marriage, or destroying her kids. Like, she's still doing it. And that's where we said, that's where we come with the ownership piece. Like, what we help Julie as we say, Julie. Like, what do you want for your life? And back to Bob Goff. Like, the two power questions I think we can ask people as leaders is, and Bob, I stole this from Bob. He says, um, ask the person, um, how is this working for you? Which is like, have them just be honest. Like, is this thing really working for you? You're and kind of holding up a mirror for them. Yeah, <laughs> just like. And let's just be honest, and we've already established that I love you and you're my friend and I want the best for you because we have all this radical acceptance, right? But just like in in an honest moment, like how is this working for you? And if it's not working, that's sort of the first step saying, okay, it's not working. Now, they may might say, you know, it's it's working okay. And that's where we go to the second question. Well, how is that working for those around you? Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when they could look and say, you know what? me being so insecure about who I am is really driving a wedge between me and my, my spouse, or it's, it's causing me to be too controlling with my kids. And it's like, it's not working for the people around you. And so both of those questions are good ownership questions for people to reflect on and to ask themselves. And they're setting compassion by this. I'm like, well, how's that working for you? Right. <laughs> you know, it's right. not, it's not, that's not the tone, but, um, You've already you've already secured the fact that you, you're for them. You love them. You want them to thrive and flourish in their lives.
0: So it's in the midst of relationships. It's in, absolutely in the midst. We try to do it of, mops as well as to the relationship comes first. These people need to know you genuinely care question. for them, or they're not going to be honest with you, or absolutely. even go there. Right?
1: Absolutely. Like one of the things I I'm so such a big believer in is creating a place of safety for people because if people don't feel safe, if they don't if they if they feel like if they said something or had an honest moment that it would threaten sort of their standing in the group, they're not going to talk about it. So that's why as a leader, like beat that drum of radical acceptance over and over again. Beat the drum of like you belong here, you are loved here, you're wanted here. And that's how you actually get to, I, I wouldn't say the 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 harder conversation, but that next step of the conversation of, helping that person take ownership of the life change that they want to see.
0: Mike, thank you so much for sharing. If people want to know more, uh, they can head to your website.
1: Yeah, so the website, secondchance.org, have, has all kinds of cool stuff. We have our curriculum on there. We have um, our small group stuff. We have um, some free e-courses that you can watch that are deal with shame, that deal with fear, like um, help you coach and counsel your friends like there's all kinds of really good resources there um, the book is available on amazon.com or barnes nova or wherever books are sold
0: thank you again mike for helping us think as mops leaders how we can come to the table uh, as we kick off our year and really try to create a space where women can feel safe to be loved and to feel like they belong so thanks for that can't wait to read the rest of your
1: book thanks guys